Gorbachev to tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War. I wanted to, yeah, regale you with a little short story. First of all, for all the listeners, it's hour three, so we will make less sense. Uh, so that review from the last week's show, um, it's going to be, it's going to be even worse. Um, you, we spent the last episode talking about all the different ways that Truman was trying to shore up any attacks from the right. But as you mentioned at the end of it, um, in the 1948 election for president, um, he was attacked on the left by Henry Wallace. And Henry Wallace was a serious player. He was the vice president. He was the uh, secretary of agriculture. He was the secretary of commerce. So he wasn't just a nobody. So anyway, so he runs in the end the election and he gets 2.37% of the vote. He wanted some kind of reconciliation with the Soviet Union. But then I, when I was doing the digging, Strom Thurmond, from Charleston, South, from South Carolina, my home state, also ran in that same election. And he actually got more votes. He got a higher percentage than uh, Henry Wallace. He got 2.41. And he ran on the state's rights Democratic Party. The party was opposed to racial integration and wanted to retain the Jim Crow laws and white supremacy in the face of possible federal intervention. So this is 1948. This guy runs in South Carolina my home state, loud and proud, he gets 2.41% of the vote about retaining white supremacy. So I don't know if um, Henry Wallace's 2.37% of the vote is a real attack on Truman's left. But like we said on the last episode, he was totally focused about not being attacked on the right. But one of my homeboys, an up and up KKK guy, actually got more votes. And and I'm just kind of proud. I just wanted to put that out there. Wow, it's a good story, Ray. Good story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just history. So let's get it. Yeah. Yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um, but this 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 podcast, Ray, very short on content. Got to say, <laughs> you know, uh, according you know, to yeah, to the Dick White, the do, reviewer from last do week. Do you know where I got that history from? And I'm ashamed of this. Corn corn flakes packet. Uh, history book. I'm sorry. A history book? Yeah. Holy shit. I'm sorry. That's all you do is you read books and then you just talk <laughs> about stuff. That's... Oh, my God. Anyway. What a, what a, what a, what a cunt. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, the X article yeah. is uh, what we want to talk about right now. George Kennan, Soviet expert who wrote the long telegram, wrote another Piece, but this time it was published publicly but anonymously. Ah, Remember, the long telegram was an internal uh, thing, went to Jimmy Burns. This is a a public piece he wrote, but he published anonymously in Foreign Affairs magazine in July 1947, just after Truman's Truman Doctrine Mm -hmm. speech. The actual article of the sorry, the actual title of the article was The Sources of Soviet Conduct. Mm. Got to tell you, not the catchiest no, title. Uh, as a marketing expert, I would have said, "Yeah, can you put, you know, can you sex, sex it up a little?" Yeah, bit? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the sources of sexy Soviet <laughs> conduct. Now Ooh, I'm reading it. I'm... Now you got me. Um, but he used the pseudonym Mister X, Mr. which actually X. is kind of sexy. Right. So, like, if I see an article written by a Mister X, yeah. I'm like, "Ooh, or Madam X." This could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. or even better. Yeah. That could be juicy. So that's why it's known as the X article. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it began as a private report prepared for the Secretary of Defense James Forrestal. 
never intended to go public, but uh, Hamilton Fish Armstrong, one of the best names we've we've come up against uh, so far, Hamilton Fish Armstrong. Fish to his friends, Fisho. Hi, I'm Ray Shark Lance. How are you? <laughs> How the fuck? I guess I bet you his mother's maiden name was Fish because that's yeah. what you Americans do, right? right you put right, the, the maiden name well, in the, the middle gets name. To that's choose. why foxes. Yeah. Foxes Fox Dunaway Riley. Yeah, yeah, he was a member of the Fish family oh, of American politicians. Powerhouse, uh, were they? Right. Yeah. Oh fuck. He he married, married Helen fish? McGregor. Oh. He married Helen McGregor Byrne. Oh. Um, they got divorced and she married Walter Lippmann. So Awkward. Uh, yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Awkward. The Fish family. There you go. Um, Never would have known. Descended from uh, Jonathan Fish. Uh, the Jonathan? So anyway. Jonathan Fish? Yeah, okay. the, yeah. John, John Fish. J, J, John, J- Johnny Fish. It sounds like a mafia name, right? Hey! Oh, Johnny, Johnny Fish. Fish, yo! Yeah. Johnny Fish, yo, head hanging. Forget about it, Johnny Fish. Johnny Fish figures. Oh. Anyway. Hey, why do they call anyway, you the fish? Because uh, it's my name. <laughs> oh, man, I thought maybe you made people sleep with the fishes. No, it's just my name. <laughs> no, cool, it's just, cool. just my name. In fact, when they used to say, Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes, the fish family would say he does not. <laughs> right. well, what are you suggesting? You, How that dare he's you. sleeping with my wife? <laughs> I am offended, sir. <laughs> anyway, Hamilton Fish Armstrong was the editor of Foreign Affair magazine and he had seen it, the article. He urged Kennan to publish it. So Kennan got permission from Forrestal, oh. the Secretary of Defence, to publish it under a pseudonym. Now, the Long Telegram was a review of how the Soviet Union saw the world. Right. And then the Clifford Elsey report we talked about last time took the, 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 that view and interpreted it into how that would affect the world and what the United States should do about it. Okay. The X article is taking all of that and sort of constructing a bit of a roadmap for the Cold War from the United States' perspective. Okay. Did you did you go to the effort of reading the sources of Soviet conduct, Ray? Some of it. <laughs> when I found out it wasn't by Keenan Thompson, I said, no, uh-uh, I'm not wasting my time on this. Uh-uh. You were looking for what's up with that <laughs> clip, and you there didn't. There were no jokes. There were no jokes in it, and I just stopped. Mm. Well, uh, let me give you the the Reader's Digest version. But I let me warn you. Yeah. Before we start, I got this from a book, <laughs> Ray. Um, well, actually, I got it from a website, but uh, I did worse. read it. Yeah. It's even worse. Yeah. These yeah. two, all they do is read things and then talk <laughs> about them. What kind of podcast is this, sir? Who I does that? say. Now, I have to say for my World War II, I have never read a World War II book. Um, no. No. So You just uh, just just make it up, really? I, I, were, you, were, you, were you born an expert in World War II, right? Is that how it born, works? I was, yes, yes, and that. So, yeah, I never read a book, so you're welcome. Anyway. The first sections of the X article are basically a potted history of Leninist and Stalinist ideology mm-hmm. and the current political reality of the Soviet Union under Stalin from 
Kennan's perspective, but I think he's pretty much right. Um, and his conclusion is kind of interesting. As you might expect, he talks about containing the expansion of the Soviets. Yeah. He says that uh, the US needs to, and here's a quote, confront the Russians with unalterable counterforce at every point where they show signs of encroaching upon the interests of a peaceful and stable world. Mm. I like this line. He says Soviet power, quote, moves inexorably along a prescribed path like a persistent toy automobile wound up and headed in a given direction, stopping only when it meets with some unanswerable force. That's not right. That's too black. It's just going in this direction. Yeah. Uh, It's not going to move. I mean, you could have said like a rocket uh, (laughs) or (laughs) something. No, a persistent toy toy automobile. Yeah. Yeah. Like a clown car. Yeah. we are talking about so, Stalin, right? I mean, clown car doesn't really work, but neither does toy car. <laughs> well, he's pretty funny, Stalin. <laughs> Love to joke. Got a photo of him up on my wall laughing at Churchill. Um, now, okay, reasonable. Okay, fair enough. That's his view of the Soviets. Basically, they're going to try and take over the uh, of Europe, take over Europe. Yeah. And the only thing that's going to stop them is us meeting them pound for pound yeah. everywhere they oh. go. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, he didn't concentrate at all on how U.S. expansion acted as a contributing factor to the Soviet behavior. Ah, because remember what, Military you, what you said. and or economic expansion. Right. Hmm. Sorry, what? I'm sorry, because um, what you said two episodes ago, it's the Soviets who assume that they're the ones who have to check us. So, so absolutely, it's not that we're, it's not that we're just doing it to... Um, to stop them. I mean, America wants influence. It wants economic dominance. Uh, dominance. I mean, that's how you take care of your own economy by controlling for things outside of your own country. So that's what we're doing. But you can easily say that we can say that we're doing it to check the Soviets. But there's more to it than that. Hmm. And as from the Soviet perspective, they're reacting exactly. to exactly and a number of things. I mean, as as we'll see, Lippmann's view is that they're reacting. Uh, to the German invasions of World War One and World War II, um, and the Japanese invasions before that, mm-hmm. etc., and the, and the Polish War and all these sorts of things, they're reacting to that. Secondly, they're trying to stop the capitalists uh, from building a new capitalist trading block, um, which you know the, the, the world's just come out of an era of imperialist trading blocks, the British block, the French block, the Spanish block, the Ottoman block, mm-hmm. um, all of this kind of stuff, and, and they're trying to prevent the, cap, the the Americans setting up the American block. Yeah. Um, there's a, a book. I read a book. Sorry, I apologize for this. I read a book um, by Thomas Patterson right. um, called Meeting the Communist Threat. He, this is how he puts it. Um, too simply... Kennan applied one interpretive model to Russia and another to the United States. Ah. Russia's foreign policy derived from a response to internal needs, not external threats. America's foreign policy derived from a response to external challenges. But that's still bullshit. That's what Patterson is saying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. What he's saying is too simply. He's saying that Kennan in the X article 
provided an explanatory model of Russia's behavior, but used a different model for the United States. Now, interestingly, one person in particular agreed with Patterson. Uh, Do you know who that person was? Cannon? Cannon, yes. Uh, (laughs) Many years later, (laughs) Cannon said, yeah, 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 that wasn't my best work. Fair cop. Anyway. Yeah. Fair cop. (laughs) Fair cop, governor. (laughs) But we'll get to that. Right. Mostly in the X article, he talks about America having to provide a good example of the world. This is actually one aspect of it that I kind of like. Um, he says, if America has internal fighting, if it struggles economically, if it doesn't look after its own people, if it embarks on global wars, then it's playing right into the hands of the communists. Mm-hmm. Because that's, so that's what they predict the United right. States will do. That's Marxist. Yeah. Leninist theory on capitalism is it's going to do that. The, the 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 wealth and the power is going to be concentrated in the hands of the few. Um, the poor are going to struggle. Uh, then when they run out of economic opportunities at home, the the one percent are going to start to exploit uh, geopolitical weaknesses around the world. Start wars in order to you know get more access to to raw materials and to export markets and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and here we are, seventy one. Uh, years later, and I hate to tell you, the Russians were right. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> that's basically what the US did. Anywho, um, but Kennan is saying, look, if the US keeps its nose clean, looks after its people, doesn't take an aggressive global stance, then the Leninist ideology will look stupid ah. and they'll struggle to keep the faith of their own people. So what he meant by containment was keep them locked into where they are and then just do a good job of being good ourselves, mm-hmm. and eventually the, the, the ideology of the Soviet Union will collapse in on itself because we won't be the bad guys. We'll be the good guys, and they'll have nothing to sell. Yeah. W- right? Wouldn't it be fair to say that Marxist, Marxist Leninist, is pre- the, a lot of it seems to be about the weakness, the, the things that capitalists get wrong. And so if we do a good job, if we, if we are a good country, their entire argument starts to fall apart because we're not fulfilling it. We're not making it come true. Is that well? No, I, I, no, I wouldn't put it that way. I, I wouldn't say get it wrong. I mean, I think what Marx and Engels did was create um, a theory on how capitalist countries would evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is dumbing it down, obviously, massively. And again, I'm not an expert. I've just read some books. I apologize for this, right. but I have read some books on this over the years. Didn't your mom teach you how to read? We should beat her. She taught me not to read. She should have teach, taught me not to read. No, she did teach me to read. We should beat her. It's all her fault. Um, <laughs> so... You know, they basically said, look, <clears throat> what's going to happen if, if if private individuals have access to wealth is they're going to use that wealth to buy political power and, and propaganda power with control of the media, mm-hmm. and then they're going to, uh, you know, expand from there and the people will get poorer because these rich people will get greedy oh. and they'll try and control more and more of the wealth of a country. And they will exploit the labour of the working classes to, to make their money and, and and that leads to a new version of imperialism. They also theorise that eventually um, there'd be so much inequality and corruption mm-hmm. that the people would get sick of it and would rise up and would overthrow the 1%. The 99% would overthrow the 1% and would, and would redistribute 
the wealth of the country more equitably across the people, make sure that everyone was looked after, their needs were met, etc. They didn't exactly talk about how that would happen, which is where Lenin comes into it. Well, there's a body of theory between when Marx died and the Russian Revolution. Obviously, it's like a uh, 40-, 50-year gap, but... Um, then, uh, then there was a whole bunch of work on socialist theory in that period of time. But then, you know, the Bolsheviks, um, after the 1917 revolution, their theory was, no, no, we need to take it by force because the, 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 um, the, the wealthy aren't going to give up. Mm-hmm. So we need to take it by force. We can't, we can't afford to do it slowly. The Mensheviks wanted to do it slowly right. um, through democracy and, and taking a role in the government and it, they wanted like incremental move towards mm-hmm. socialism um, like we've had in other countries around the world in the last hundred years. Uh, the Bolsheviks are like, no, no, we don't have time for that. We, we need to act now. Right. We need to take it by force, and we need to enforce this order on, on people who don't want it. Um, and we need to get ready because we're going to get invaded again. That was Stalin's thing. Well, we need to get ready yeah. because the Germans are coming, and probably the Americans and probably the British. They're all going to come and attack us again because they want our shit. And, uh, you know, we need to ramp up. So anyway. So Cannon's X article. Now, <clears throat> back to Walter Lippmann. This right-leaning, I want to make that point, he wasn't a lefty, ah. Walter Lippmann. He was, he was establishment all the way, conservative, very influential journalist, one of the fathers of modern propaganda. He wrote a series of articles uh, in the New York Daily News, I think, one of these old New York papers that's not around anymore, um, the International da- uh, New, New York, York Daily News, turned into... Turned into the International Daily uh, News, I think, after it series disappeared. series of columns in New York Herald Tribune in September. Herald Tribune, yeah, in that's September right. of October of 1947. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I dug up some of these um, and, and read the ones that I could find um, on newspapers.com. Cool. Now, he took issue with the X article, um, even though at the time he didn't know who the author was, or he did, but because but, a lot of people kind of did. Right. The, the secret didn't last very long. Uh, but if he did know, he pretended he didn't know to to protect Kenan's mm-hmm. uh, anonymity. Um, and the series of articles ended up in a book called The Cold War, which popularised the term The Cold War. However, he didn't invent the term The Cold War. Do you know who invented the term The Cold War, Ray? No, please tell me. Well... The story goes that it's usually said that it was first coined by Herbert Bayard Swope. The other Swopes. Who was... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the Swopes. Um, they were good close friends with the fishes, the Swopes, <laughs> the fish and the Swopes. He was another Pulitzer Prize winning journalist right. called the greatest reporter of his time wow. by Lord Northcliffe. Wow. Lord Northcliffe was Rupert Murdoch before Rupert Murdoch. Wow. Um. Swope is known for the saying, I can't give you a surefire formula for success, but I can give you a formula for failure. Try to please everybody all the time. Nice. I like Which, that. as you know, yeah. is my That's motto your, for our podcast. Damn right it is. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the very early days when we started to get, you know, criticism, I said, listen, man, you can't make everybody happy all of the time. Let's... Let's do a show that we have fun with, right. that we are proud of. There will be other people like us who enjoy it. Fuck everybody else, quite frankly. Yeah. Particularly the people who criticise us for reading books. <laughs> um, 
Now, Swope did some speechwriting work for Bernard Baruch oh, in 1947. Okay. The Baruch Plan, right. uh, we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Now, Swope wrote a speech for Baruch, which Baruch delivered to Congress in April 1947, and the line in the speech was, let us not be deceived, we are today in the midst of a Cold War. Nice. Nice. However, uh-huh. in October 1945, George Orwell published an essay, You and the Atomic Bomb, in which he wrote, looking at the world as a whole, The drift for many decades has been not towards anarchy, but towards the reimposition of slavery. Mm. James Burnham's theory has been much discussed, but few people have yet considered its ideological implications. That is, the kind of worldview, the kind of beliefs, and the social structure that would probably prevail in a state which was at once unconquerable and in a permanent state of cold war with its neighbours. Nice. So thanks, George Orwell. Yeah, very artsy. Um, there was also uh, a French term before that, le Freud, uh-huh. um, but yeah, it's sort of different implications. But there, so it even goes back further than that. But basically, George Orwell um, in in the public, in in the way that we think of it now, uh, 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 coined the term Cold War. Mm-hmm. So thanks, George. Uh, now Lipman wrote. Uh, I'm going to cherry pick bits uh, out of his uh, articles here. I'm going to read for a bit. My objection to the policy of containment is not that it seeks to confront the Soviet power with American power, but that the policy is misconceived and must result in a misuse of American power. Mm. It commits this country to a struggle which has for its objective nothing more substantial than the hope that in 10 or 15 years the Soviet power will, as the result of long frustration, break up or mellow. Right. Now, turns out it did. Uh, took a lot longer than 10 or 15 years <laughs> right. at this juncture. It took 50 years. Um, but it did um, basically eventually collapse in on itself, in large part because of the Cold War mm-hmm. and the amount of money that it had to spend going toe-to-toe with the Americans. But, um, yeah, Lippmann's policy, Lippmann's problem with the the containment policy is, uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait this thing out. That's not much of a strategy, wait it out. That's not exactly an American. We like to just meet things head on, and that's, yeah, yeah. Um, He was concerned that military entanglements in remote places would bankrupt the U.S. Treasury. Yeah and do very little to enhance American security at home. He was considered that he was concerned, sorry, that American society would have to become militarized in order to fight a cold war. Well, fucking props to you Walter Lippmann. Right. Um I think we can all agree that that Mission he was right. Yeah. 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 Um bankrupt the treasury didn't bankrupt the treasury, but America had to borrow trillions of dollars and has spent that trillions of dollars building up its armaments over the years, uh, <clears throat> which reminds me of a story that we're going to do on Bullshit Filter the News uh, this coming week. Uh, have you seen my notes for that? No. Um, Jack Ha. Chinese billionaire Jack Ma, sorry, not Jack Ha, Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, mm-hmm. 
um, gave a speech recently where he said the US has wasted trillions of dollars on warfare instead of investing in infrastructure. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll cover that uh, this week. We'll talk about that. Um, so uh, let me get back to uh, uh, Littman. He says that in order to compensate for America's comparative weakness in all these locations in Eastern Europe and Asia, they're going to be forced to recruit what he calls an array of satellites, clients, dependents, and puppets Mm. to help them defend these areas, any number of whom would be expected to pull in the United States to to defend them when trouble arose. And then he nails what I think is the major flaw in Kennan's assessment of the Russians. I'm going to quote uh, from Lippmann. We may now ask why the official diagnosis of Soviet conduct, as disclosed by Mr. X's article, has led to such an unworkable policy for dealing with Russia. It is, I believe, because Mr. X has neglected even to mention the fact that the Soviet Union is the successor of the Russian Empire. And that Stalin is not only the heir of Marx and of Lenin, but of Peter the Great and the Tsars of all the Russias. Mm-hmm. For reasons which I do not understand, Mr. X decided not to consider the men in the Kremlin as the rulers of the Russian state and empire, and has limited his analysis to the interaction of two forces, the ideology inherited by the present Soviet leaders from the movement in which they had their political origin, and the circumstances of the power which they have now exercised for nearly three decades in Russia. Thus he dwells on the indubitable fact that they believe in the Marxian ideology and that they have continued to be predominantly absorbed with the struggle to secure and make absolute the power which they seized in November 1917. But with these two observations alone, he cannot and does not explain the conduct of the Soviet government in this post-war era. That is to say, its aims and claims to territory and to the sphere of influence which it dominates. The Soviet government has been run by Marxian revolutionists for 30 years. What has to be explained by a planner of American foreign policy is why, in 1945, the Soviet government expanded its frontiers in its orbit, and what was the plan and pattern of its expansion. This can be done only by remembering that the Soviet government is a Russian government and that this Russian government has emerged victorious over Germany and Japan. Having omitted from his analysis the fact that we are dealing with a victorious Russia, having become exclusively preoccupied with the Marxian ideology and with the communist revolution, it is no wonder that the outcome of Mr. X's analysis is nothing more definite, concrete and practical than that the Soviets will encroach and expand at a series of constantly shifting geographical and political points. Wow. Now, Lippmann then goes on to quote from Professor Robert Strauss Hooper of the University of Pennsylvania, Hooper, (laughs) whose article... Uh, on the Western Frontiers of Russia, appeared in the July 1947 issue of the Review of Politics, which was published by the University of Notre Dame. Here's the quote. The total area acquired by Russia between 1945 and 1947 is approximately as large as the total area lost 
between 1917 and 1921. Ah. Russia has redeemed the hostages she gave to defeat revolution and national self-determination. The western frontiers of the Soviet sphere of influence coincide so closely with those Tsarist Russia planned to draw after the defeat of the Central Powers that Tsarist and Soviet policies appear to differ as regards methods only. And then Lippmann continues in his own voice. The westward expansion of the Russian frontier and of the Russian sphere of influence, though always a Russian aim, was accomplished when, as, and because the Red Army defeated the German army and advanced to the centre of Europe. It was the mighty power of the Red Army, not the ideology of Karl Marx, which enabled the Russian government to expand its frontiers. So what do you make of all of that, Ray? That's intense. I never stopped to think about... The border in 1945 was pretty much putting it back to where it was um, World War One, when Lenin sacrificed so much to the Germans to get Russia out of the war. So yes, Poland had become an independent nation, but it was pretty much reestablishing, and you don't have to like it, but it was pretty much reestablishing the Russian border before the First World War. And here they are, the Americans and Kennan are focused only on that. They're focused on the communist revolution that they somehow stole something from Russia, even though they are now the legitimate ruling party of Russia. And it's their job to take care of Russia's defense uh, needs. But that is that is absolutely brilliant. And again, you don't have to like it, but that that's that puts it in a completely different perspective when you pull away from the paranoid communist canon message and you just look back and you look at a larger russian history yeah i mean <clears throat> if you if you take the perspective that look the russians had a big empire before the communists took over mm-hmm. uh and they lost a lot of it yeah um as a result of, as you say, trying to get out of World War One, also you know the war with Japan, the Russo Sino Russo War, right? Um, and so what they've done uh, after World War Two is get that back. Yeah. So they, and we have talked about this. We talked about this a lot during our Yalta episodes. That that's basically, you know, we we, we talked about sort of the, the two or three things that Stalin was trying to achieve, as we understand it. One was to create a cordon sanitaire mm-hmm. um, around Russia to prevent future invasions. Two, to get money uh, either from the Germans or from the Allies or wherever he could to rebuild. Yeah. Um, three, to establish a period of peace uh, so they could rebuild. They estimated it would take 20 years to, to rebuild um, and to repopulate. And four, we talked about they wanted warm water ports, yeah. what the Russians had always wanted. We need warm water ports so we can trade Since Peter the with Great. the world. Exactly. Right, because we're, we're landlocked, we're fucking covered in ice, <laughs> uh, we need some warm water. We need access yeah. to, to, to maritime trading. <laughs> we need to be able to get ships in and out, yeah, like shit else. on ships, right, right. like everybody else. Yeah. Right. That's basically what they wanted. Now, that was short term. Long term. Yeah, right. Communist ideology um, is partly, uh, particularly under uh, Lenin uh, and Stalin, was that the capitalist powers would 
uh, try and, and defeat the communist powers because they can't coexist right. from a communist mindset. And so uh, we needed to get as many countries in the world as we could to go communist. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, so we have trading powers. Because if the, if, so if you've got, okay, let's say, well, how many countries are in the world? 500? I don't know. Let's say you've got 500 countries in the world. Um, if 499 of them are capitalists, <laughs> right. Uh, which is what the capitalists want because they want to trade with as many as they can, right? Right. Then we're fucked. Yeah. So we need to get as many of them to be uh, communist as possible so they'll trade with us. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that yes, that was a long-term plan, but it was also the Americans' long-term plan to make as many countries as they could be or remain capitalist. So th- that's not really a criticism, right. I think, of of. The Soviets. That's yes. They wanted big trading block. Um, now m- maybe you could say, well, they wanted it should just be open trade everywhere. Um, but there's a lot of complexities mm-hmm. with open yeah. trade, uh, particularly when you're dealing with different ideologies about, well, who are you giving the money to, and uh, you know, are you supporting? If you're if you're a communist and you're supporting capitalists by trading with them. Uh, or vice versa, if, you know, yeah. it, it's complex. The, if you're a capitalist, you're supporting communists. It's like today we have trade sanctions. Um, the West will create trade sanctions, like against Cuba. It's still going on after 70-odd years. 70, 50, 60, 60, 70, 80, 90, 2000, 50-odd years, yeah. nearly 60 years. Yeah. Um, because we don't like you guys. Yeah, um, and we're going to use trade sanctions to try and destabilize your your political system. Um, so those things can get used, and the Russians knew that. I mean, it happened to Japan and Germany in World War Two, right? Mm-hmm. The trade sanctions against Germany yeah. and Japan was one of the causes for World War Two. So, anywho, um, where am I going with all this? So, yeah, so Lippmann was criticizing uh, Cannon's analysis right. of the situation is not is too much fear-mongering, not taking a pragmatic approach to why the Russians are trying to recapture territory that they'd lost over the preceding 50 years, which is what the United States would have done, quite frankly. If the United States lost a third of its territory um, during a war and then ended up out of the war as a, with military superiority, you'd think it wouldn't go and want to take its oh, take yeah. California back oh, if yeah. it had lost California? Mm-hmm. Huh? Oh, yeah. But um, and not only that, but Littman was also um, almost undermining the very the basis of uh, Cannon's argument. And, and again, I think he did that very well. And so that brings up, and, and of course the big thing for that is, are we really going to defend all these little countries all over the world and let them drag us into wars? I mean, that's just that's just madness. At the very least, it will bankrupt us, uh, as opposed to losing a lot of men and, and destabilizing our own country. And so, so Lippmann goes on from there. He goes, so if it's not going to be containment, what then? And so then he proposes... And th- this, for me, isn't exactly the strongest part of his article, but he says, we need to have a European settlement where the United States, the Soviets, and the British all leave Germany, and maybe eventually all leave uh, continental Europe. Because if the Russians are truly concerned about security, 
then we should work very hard to negate their concerns. Let Germany unify. Obviously, it can't have an army because we can't trust Germany with an army. It has to be open to trade for all these different countries. But if we do it just right, we will take away what concerns Russia the most, their their their, uh, their security. So let's call them on it. Let's truly try to de-emphasize what makes them nervous. And this would be like a test for Moscow. If they, if they truly are concerned about defense and we take away as much as we can all these concerns and they still keep their troops in Poland and they still occupy these other countries, Romania, Bulgaria, that kind of stuff, then we'll know that they were lying. Then we'll know that this is really what they wanted, that they wanted con- conquest. But we will know. But you can't not try. You have to do something other than just say, diplomacy is not going to work. We're going to treat them like we're at war. We're just currently not shooting at each other. Diplomacy cannot be surrendered. Let's work with these guys. We have to have, we have needs. They have needs. At the very least, let's work on satisfying mutual goals. That should be the minimum of what we're doing with this country and not just jumping in feet first into a cold war that we have no idea where will end. So what's your problem with his uh, plan? Um, I don't think the Soviets are going to. If the if the United States and the British said, um, "Look, we'll, we're going to leave, and we'll we'll leave if you leave," I, I don't know who, who takes the leap first. And and if I was Stalin, I certainly wouldn't be trusting uh, France. I wouldn't be trusting Germany. I wouldn't trust British because you know British did send in forces at the at the end of World War One. So. I, I, I don't think the the good faith is there for someone to take the first leap by removing their troops and therefore exposing uh, their borders or or the risk risking their men. So I don't know. I I just I just don't think that. I mean, this is obviously sounds obvious, but the the, the good faith is not there at the moment because the Cold War is already ratcheting up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like I I, I see that his. Proposition is very similar to Oppenheimer's proposition for what they should do with nuclear arms. Right. It's about diplomacy, right? Yeah. But he's saying, yeah. But remember what Kennan said in the long telegram. He said something about for the for the Russians, and this isn't just the communists. This is the Russians uh, for the last couple hundred years or whatever that uh, they saw diplomacy that whatever is a game, and, and everything was just to be law. Everything um, was about manipulation and getting what you want without trying to give something up. So with a long telegram, maybe that part of it's still in Truman's mind. Will he ever trust that's, Stalin? That's what diplomacy is always about. Negotiation is always about... Trust but verify. <laughs> it's about uh, trying to give away as little as you can possibly give away right. to get what you want. But if someone feels cheated, then the talks break down and tensions ramp well, up. Then, so I don't know. They're not diplomats because what diplomats understand is in order to get what you want, sometimes you need to give up stuff. And I, you want to give up as little as you possibly right. need to give up, but you you sit down and you trade. It's trading. It's, it's, it's okay, I'll give you this if you give me that. And, and I agree with that. And I think Stalin was willing to give more than what Truman would give him credit for. I think Stalin certainly was able to give and take with FDR, but I don't think Stalin's ability to to give up some things was was truly appreciated or acknowledged by Truman and the men around him. Or maybe didn't even matter because uh, 
domestically, politically, Truman needed to be tough, yeah. act tough. Because um, there's too many. The, the time for diplomacy has gone off. Right. Oh, is gone, and and Lippmann's calling that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, you know, to to sum up what you were saying, uh, Lippmann's idea is: let's sign a treaty. UK, USA, Russia, anyone else you want, that we're all going to pull our forces out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Include in that all the security guarantees that Russia wants. And if that is indeed what they want, security, then they're going to get it and they should be happy. Right. But then if they move out of the borders that they've agreed to stay behind without sufficient and acceptable justification to the United Nations, then we attack them. Until then, use diplomacy. Yeah. Give them what they want. Find a way to give them what they want. If they if they then renege on that, well, sure, then we go to war. Yeah. But what we're doing right now is going to war <laughs> without, without them doing anything. Right. On the premise that they might do something. <laughs> My- they might invade all of Europe. <laughs> Right? Well, how do you know? Not. Well, because they, they 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 invaded or manipulated these countries into going into the communist sphere. But yeah, he's going. Yeah, but they're just getting back what they used to have anyway. Yeah. Uh, what they lost. And they're closing the door to be invaded again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's try diplomacy first, then war. If diplomacy fails, is what Lindman's saying. But what Truman is saying is no. Fuck that. We're going to go to war now. Yeah. Time for diplomacy is gone. I've got, Why? Well, just because people are saying I'm weak. I have an election They're calling me an appeaser. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Because you get called, you know, they go, nah, nah, you're a soft on communism. And he's like, fuck you, I'll show you I'm not soft. That's right. It's basically what's happening yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, again, I'm going to admit something, Ray. I know I won't admit this to you many times. Just whisper it. I, I got this from reading okay. books. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I came to this conclusion. This better be the last time. Because I read... I read a bunch of books. Okay. I'm so sorry. Promise you from now on I won't read any books. Just, I'll just... Just Jedi it. <laughs> yeah, I'll Jedi it, yeah. Blindfold. <laughs> going to put a blindfold on and I'm just going to trust in the Force that I'll get it right. That's what I you do. Know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it's <clears> just <throat> sad that a lot of this has to do with there's an election coming up for the 1948 presidency and... Truman, not only personally, he wants to win on his own. He doesn't want to just be the president because the guy in front of him died. He wants to be able to win on his own because he's got an ego just like everybody else. And the Democrats as a party in general are going, 1946 will fucking never happen to us again. We now know how to win and we're going to do it. You know, we're going to turn it up to 11. So between those two, what else could possibly happen as far as relations with Russia? Now, even Churchill, in his Iron Curtain speech, advocated frequent and growing contact with the Kremlin Uh, uh, uh. to seek seek common ground. No, 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 because when you played the speech, you asked me which parts of the speech are, (laughs) are remembered in history. And fuck, I can tell you this, that frequent and growing contact with Moscow shit did not make the cut. Nobody remembers that he said that. Yeah, right? Yeah. But even Churchill... Now, and, and, you know, everyone knows I don't have great uh, <clears throat> respect for Churchill. No. Uh, yeah, good and bad. Like, yeah. you know, a bit like John McCain. Um, I'm not saying he was all bad. I'm not saying he was a hero either. No. Like, he was a uh, human who John McCain supposedly called his wife an ugly cunt in front of uh, some journalists. 
Um, what? And, and ref- he didn't, you haven't read that bit? No, I missed that. Apparently, uh, it's going back a while. I think it was like 2000, something like that. Um, doing, doing, he's on campaign um, with some journalists. Um, oh. They're sitting there, kind of casual. She starts playing with his hair with a finger, like like ringlets, and she says, oh, you're losing your hair. And he said, at least I don't plaster my makeup on with a trowel and look like a trollop, you ugly cunt. Oh. There's no <laughs> Paraphrasing, but that was essentially it. No yeah, And an ugly that. cunt was part of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Then he said, "You're not going to re- you're not going to write that, right?" And they're, like, they're probably all Arizona journalists. They're like, oh, "No, John, she is an ugly cunt. What are you talking about? We all call our wives ugly cunts here in Arizona. Come on, man, Are you kidding? You're a hero, John. You're a hero. You can torture John. If he said that to his wife and lived, he's fu- he's my fucking hero. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh God, yeah. yeah. Hey, he's, he's like, hey, listen, the the gooks, as he referred to them, tortured me for five years. What's Cindy <laughs> McCain going to do to me? Right. But but she's rich. <laughs> but you're right about uh, about uh, Lippman. I mean, that's how you stymie Stalin. You confront him. You have the power of the U.S. and the U.K. check him. But at the same fucking time, and this is the important part, you actually talk. You communicate. You try to work out agreements. Certainly in Europe, because that's the flashpoint that everybody's concerned with right now. Yeah. Uh, let me um, let me just read a bit of Churchill here. All right. <clears throat> we welcome Russia to her rightful place among the leading nations of the world. We welcome her flag upon the seas. Above all, we welcome constant, frequent, and growing contacts between the Russian people and our own people on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, I've missed that. So, I don't know. The rush, the, the Churchill voice? Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. You know I'll, I'll ring you up late at okay. night and do it to you as you're going to oh, bed if you like. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Um, so maybe he's saying between the people, not the governments. Fuck the government, right. but we're going to talk to the people. Right. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, you know, it makes sense to me that negotiating with Stalin, particularly over the question of Central Europe and Germany, uh, if containment of the Soviet power was was the goal, they should have negotiated, say, look, you stay on that side, we'll stay on this side. Yeah. You know, if Stalin was anything, he was an arch-realist. Right. He, he knew that they were weak at this point. Um, he knew that it was going to take them a long time to recover from World War II. He might agree to a treaty on that. I mean, we saw he did quite a bit of give and take at Yalta. Mm-hmm. There were some things he wouldn't give up. Right. Um, like a cordon sanitaire, but there were other things he did give up. Um, so he could negotiate. There's no arguing that Stalin could negotiate and was prepared to come to a table, give up things in other in, in, that he didn't really care about to get things that he really did care about. Especially if you deal straight with him, and you need to deal straight with Stalin, because chances are he already knows what you're going to fucking say because he's got everything bugged or he's got spies, but he was the type of person who responded to straight talk so he knew exactly what he was getting into. And that maybe, I don't know, they should have tried that. And it's two years now since the last time they all met Potsdam, right. which, of course, was the last time they all met. But, um, yeah, why not have a annual sit-down? Yeah. Tr- Truman, Atlee, Stalin, sit down, barbecue, watch some movies, right. you just, know. Just, you know. You're you, we're us, we're not ever going to get along because of our styles of government, but I promise you we will never cross this line. You promise me you will never cross this line. Live and let live. It, it may- Which is one thing, yeah. one thing I defend Trump for. 
<laughs> right. I'm not a big fan of Trump, but people go, well, he shouldn't sit down with Putin. He shouldn't sit down with Kim Jong-il. I'm like, really? Like, how the fuck do you get anything done if the leaders of countries can't sit down and talk? Yeah. I, I mean, even if they'd sat down with Stalin, he'd go, no, fuck you. I'm not. I'm going to invade these countries and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. But, but, you know but unless you sit down right. with him and try. Yeah. Look, yes, the, they had the Council of Foreign Ministers and they would sit down and meet, but that's, that's not, not the same no, thing. You put the, he- exactly. the heads of government sit down and talk. This is the way diplomacy has always been done. But for some reason, under Truman, no. Yeah. Can't do that now because if you do that, it's a bit like now when Trump does it, the media, the Democrats accuse him of, of pandering. Mm-hmm. You're pandering. You shouldn't sit down. with. It's like when Obama... Um, was on the other side of the camp. When Obama went to Cuba, went to Havana a couple of years ago right. and shook hands with Raul How Castro. How dare you, sir? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Republicans fucking, you know, rent their garments and started pulling their <laughs> hair out and running around in circles, setting themselves on fire. Now, when Trump does it, the Democrats rent right. their clothes, run around, <laughs> set themselves on fire. The world's coming to an end, right? Because because the leader of one country shook uh, hands with the leader yeah. of another country and said, hey, why don't we have a chat? Talking's good. That Talking's good. Right, yeah. yeah. Now, there was no way to know without trying. Ironically, as we said before, Kennan agreed with a lot of this. Later on, yeah. he said he was very unhappy with his article. He was very unhappy with Truman's Truman Doctrine speech and how black and white it was. He thought he had personally neglected the role of diplomacy right? in both the long telegram and the X article. He believed in diplomacy and he said he knew the Russians did too. Yeah, they're hardball. Yeah. <laughs> they play hardball. They're not fucking, you know, amateurs. Right. They know how to negotiate, but at least they will negotiate. Yeah. Cannon later said he never meant that the United States should undertake global intervention through military means. Ah. Do, do you believe... But... Yeah. But what? No, I was going to say, do you believe that, or is he covering his ass after the fact, or is that a, a Truman taking what he said and turn and making it his own? Yeah, no, I, I have no reason not to believe Kennan. Kennan spent the last decades of his life uh, criticising... Mm-hmm successive American administrations and the military-industrial complex Ah. and the Cold War. He spent decades of his life trying to undo the damage that he did uh, when he was a younger guy, Um, to his credit, I guess. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, no, I I think it didn't turn out the way that he... I think, you know, he was like, shit, I fucking should have thought this through. I just thought I was writing an article. I didn't know you were going to spend 50 years... (laughs) Listening to me? No one ever listened to me before this. Like, uh, (laughs) I was just excited that someone was listening to me. Imagine if somebody took one of our podcasts and built an entire (laughs) geopolitical policy over it. I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. All I did was read some books. (laughs) Like, no one said you should listen to me. No. I... I, I <laughs> live and last and send me nude pictures, but don't take it seriously. Yeah, no. Yeah, throw me a few shekels because I read a book. That's all I'm asking for. Maybe let me make a documentary or two. Like, uh, I'm not asking for, you know, for, for global domination. Don't yeah. build a religion no, around a anything, god. I say. I'm okay, just, I'm a god, but yeah. a god, not yeah. a god. Oh, well, you know, eating pussy. That's you Come to me for that. But everything else... I'm a mere mortal. 
My tongue's look, not mortal, am but I, I am. Am I better looking than most people? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. I'll, uh, am, am, am I smart and eloquent and hilariously funny, hugely talented? Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will accept all of those things, but don't. but don't. Don't put me on a pedestal, please. Don't take. Don't take me seriously. No, that's the last thing you <laughs> don't take do. anything I say seriously. No. Yeah. Anyway, oh. um, <clears throat> whether he intended it or not, Cannon helped establish the basic underlying uh, approach to the Cold War that uh, American planners. Oh. Built on for generations. Um, and, you know, Kennan suffered for that, I think. Mm. Uh, like Oppenheimer. I put Kennan and Oppenheimer uh, in, in the same bucket. You know, these guys started something and then regretted it for the rest of their lives. Wow. Yeah. But, but again, they thought they were doing the right thing and they, uh, 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 you know, built something that people took and ran with. No, I agree with that. I think Kennan, when he wrote the long telegram, he's like, basically, look, this is how the Russians think. And based on that, this is how maybe you can deal with it. It's Truman who was, who was even as Truman is uh, 1946, 1947, starting to play with standing up to them, he immediately sees the potential or the very real political benefits. So he and his are the one that take it. I, I definitely think this is on Truman and those around him, not not Kennan. But again, because Kennan's name is attached to it, how can he not feel like, oh shit, I wish I had never sent that or whatever, and spend the rest of his life working on it. But this is Truman. This is people who are very human, just like the Soviets are very human. They're seeing a gain out of it, even though it's not a real thing. They're going to gin it up get political capital out of it, stay in power because they're only they're only human. What else do you expect them to do? Kennan later wrote that he felt like one who has inadvertently loosened a large boulder from the top of the cliff and now helplessly witnesses its path of destruction in the valley below, shuddering and wincing at each successive glimpse of disaster. That's the best metaphor for what's going on. But in 1947, all of this containment talk was just theory. There was still no plan for just how the Americans were going to go about containing the Russians. It wasn't until the following year, 1948 that they came up with the European Recovery Program, better known as the Marshall Plan. Um, Apparently, I think it was Clark Clifford that suggested to Truman that they should call it the Truman Plan. And Truman's like, are you fucking crazy? (laughs) Not calling it the Truman Plan. Stan and Barry suggested that. He's like, what? No one's going to get on board with it. Now, if we call it the Marshall Plan, everyone loves George. Yeah, Yeah. everyone will get on board if we call it that, George. Yeah. But before we go, I want to thank our uh, recent subscribers to the show. Um, Over the last month or so, Clinton Riggs, Andrew Zoe, uh, Andrew Wood, Elliot Muller, 
uh, Rolf Breiger, Simon Bate, Ryan Beaver, Avery Williams, Joe S., uh, Odyssey Villa Gomez, Christoph uh, Goebel, uh, Peter Henio, uh, John Lavin, Andrew Flick, uh, Jim, uh, oh, Jim Schmidt. He's probably, oh, it's Schmidster. Fuck Jim Schmidt. <laughs> Jim <laughs> Schmidt is the guy who wrote us that review. Fuck Jim Schmidt. I'm going to send him an email. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Paul Bondi, Mark Mulder, so Jim Schmidt subscribed like two weeks ago mm-hmm. and then wrote that review. Like, how many episodes yeah, really. do you think he listened to? Oh, sorry, no, hold on. He subscribed on August the 5th, wrote the review on August the 7th. Ah. So in two days... He listened to all. He listened, obviously, to all 90 <laughs> hours of the show to come to the conclusion that we uh, had read some books and didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> oh, is he going to get an email from me? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Send him a picture of your tongue as well. Go ahead. Mark, my tongue? What? <laughs> it's your best feature. Mark, Mark Mulder, Austin Doty. Uh, changing the page here. Uh, Carl Stein, uh, Abhinav Kadyalva, sure. Mo Ramanyuk, uh, and I think that's what we got up to last time. So, yeah, they're the new subscribers. Thank you, folks, Thank you. for your support of the show. I hope the rest of you, apart from the Schmidster, <laughs> Uh, enjoying the show. Yes. I hope you, you get up to this episode and hear us read out your name yeah. at least. We love you. Um, so that's the show for this week. Um, hope you had some fun with that, and we will be back in a couple of weeks with uh, you know we're racking. I, yeah, I got to say we're getting through nineteen forty six, nineteen forty seven pretty quickly, man. Yeah. Like a couple of episodes, boom. Right, we're going. We'll be finished in a couple of weeks. We need to s- <laughs> slow down for Tony's sake. That's what your wife says. Thank you.